Town Bank Mortgage, NMLS number 512138, is an equal housing lender. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And now, the man born with a 5 o'clock shadow and with the NMLS number 2028201. He is a gentleman. He is a scholar. He is... Tyler Crawley. Would you look at that? A Monday show. I don't even want to know how long it's been since I did a Monday show. It's been a while. It's been a little bit of a while. And one of the reasons why we're doing a Monday... One, one I want to start doing Monday shows again. Uh, but it's a, very, it's a very busy Monday show. There was a lot going on on Friday. There's a lot going on this week. And there was a lot going on this weekend. So we're going to get to all of it here uh, on this Monday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am the aforementioned host of this podcast, Tyler Crawley. And so, yeah, we got some shutdown drama to talk about. Here's what happened over the weekend. It is Jobs Week. Welcome, everyone, to the month of October. I love October. As someone who lives in the South, especially the very far South, you know, well, people forget how Southern Wilmington is. I mean, like, we're, we're parallel with parts of Georgia. And so it does not really feel like fall until October. And you start to you know feel that brisk air starts to smell a little bit like fall. That doesn't happen until October. I was you know I lived in D.C. and I went to college in Virginia. September was when it started to feel like fall. That is not the case in Wilmington, North Carolina. It it takes a little while. <laughs> so I like October. Plus, it's my birthday month. End of the month, my birthday. So I just there's a lot of reasons why I like October. So welcome to October, and because it's the beginning of the month, it is Jobs Week, and because there is no shutdown, we are not shut down, thank goodness, the, the, the country's not shut down, the government's not shut down, so because of that, and I'll tell you, it was a little self, I was a little self, and it's shocking that a former talk show host, now podcast host, is self-centered, but I really only cared about getting data, economic data. My, my whole week revolves around economic data. I do a podcast on it. Sometimes I have a newsletter sometimes, but I follow it regardless of whether I'm sending the newsletter out or doing the podcast. And if the government shuts down, we don't get that data. I mean, sure, there's private data that we, we could have gotten and, we, and we're going to talk about, but the, the government reports, they're the big ones, especially jobs week. And so it would have been a little, I would have been a little sad if I wouldn't have gotten my, uh, my jobs report. But we are. We're going to get it. Uh, we're going to talk about what's happening this week in just a little bit. But let's talk about what happened over the weekend. So I took off my economic news hat and put back on my political hat this weekend and started going back to my sources. Back when I was a conservative talk show host, the sources that I would have trusted. And I'm not talking about like people. I wasn't like calling people on the hill Try everyone I know is probably gone for for the most part that that I used to talk to. Uh, no, I'm talking news sources, uh, and one of them that I really like is Punchbowl News. Uh, Jake Sherman, Anna Palmer. They used to do the political Politico playbook, which was started by Mike Allen, who's also very good at his job. I think he's kind of I don't know he's he's not what he once was. I mean he's super successful. And wealthy, <laughs> and so maybe, he's just not like the the inside guy 
that he was, Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer at Punchbowl, they just kill it. So I was I was following them all weekend, seeing what was going on. And going into the weekend, it looked like the shutdown was inevitable. It was it was gonna happen. There's no way that Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, was gonna be able to avoid it. And then boom, Saturday afternoon, a deal has been made. Uh, and the vote in the House, 335 to 91. Almost all Republicans voting no, except for one, Mike Quigley, out of, I think, Illinois. He was the only Democrat that voted no. Otherwise, completely 90 Republicans voting no on that. And then the Senate, very similar. Senate passed the continuing resolution on a vote of 88 to 9. All the no votes coming from Republicans. So clearly this was Kevin McCarthy, the Republican Speaker of the House, had to find a way. He was an impasse with the really the Freedom Caucus in his party, that little that, that group of Republicans, I think it was about 10, 11 of them, they were not going to get on board, and so he had to find a way to get enough votes. And so more than likely, the bill, the continuing resolution, was probably a little... It left some things to be desired for Republicans because they needed all those Democrat votes. <laughs> Because you're either going to get all the Democrats or none. You know, it's very rarely you're going to get, you're going to be able to siphon off a few. They're not going to give McCarthy a win like that. And then President Biden, with about 30 minutes to spare, signed it into law. Biden said on Twitter, quote, I just signed a law to keep the government open for 47 days. Plenty of time to pass government funding bill for the next fiscal year. And I strongly urge Congress to get to work right away. So we got 47 days, or that was on Saturday. So now we're at 45 days to find a more permanent solution. And once again, Punchbowl News, they're not exactly optimistic. Uh, pointing out in their Saturday newsletter, or letter, letter, <laughs> I'm not even drinking when I'm doing this podcast. Word slurring, not a good thing. Uh, fiscal year 2024 appropriations bill has no chance of becoming law. Uh, they wrote, the best thing McCarthy can hope for is the Senate will negotiate with the House, but those negotiations will be messy. The Senate spending bill, including tens of billions of dollars more in spending and none of the culture war provisions favored by House Republicans. Congress will be on the brink of a shutdown once again. So Punchbowl News and a lot of other observers not exactly optimistic that 45 days from now we're going to be in any better of a place and then compounding things. So I mentioned the Freedom Caucus. One of the members, I think he's a member of the Freedom Caucus. I'm not entirely sure. I'm pretty sure he is. Uh, Matt Gates, who is like the thorn in the side of McCarthy this weekend he hit the Sunday shows which in my opinion is what he really wanted in this whole situation the guy is a fame whore <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to say it he's actually quoted as saying if you're not on TV you're not legislating which makes no sense to me uh, but he was on the Sunday shows he was on this week he was on CNN State of the Union and he said that he would soon bring up a measure called a motion to vacate, which prompts a snap vote on whether to keep the speaker in his post. It can be brought with just one person. 
And so he's saying he's been threatening to do this for a while now. Now it says that he is going to do that. Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, was asked about this on CBS's Face the Nation. He didn't see he did not seem too concerned, saying, quote, bring it on. Let's get let's get over with it and then let's start governing. He, that's of course Gates, is upset because he tried to push us into a shutdown, and I made sure the government didn't shut down. Then let's have that fight. So not only is McCarthy gonna have to try and find a way to get Republicans on board enough of them get those 10 that are the outliers uh he's got to deal with matt gates who i guess is just gonna every day <laughs> put forward a motion to vacate because more than likely it's gonna get shot down so you just keep doing it or does he just do it every day i, I, I don't know does he do it every day once a week once a month <laughs> i have no idea i have no idea what he's gonna do but so mccarthy's also gonna have to be worrying about that and this 45 days, if you do the math, um, we're talking Thanksgiving time. So <laughs> that's going to make, oh man, that's going to make Thanksgiving dinners so much more fun <laughs> with regards to politics if we're talking about um, the shutdown debate. And then we go into a shutdown and then Congress is stuck up there trying to figure out how they're going to get it all figured out. And we're all trying to have Thanksgiving dinner and man. The political debates at the Thanksgiving table, if they don't figure this out, are going to probably be very, very heated. But because we are not having a shutdown, we are going to be getting economic data this week. And it is jobs week. It is jobs week. So I am very happy about that because so much data coming out. But also because, you know, it's important to look what's happening in the labor market. We've seen signs the last couple of months of a slowdown. It'd be nice if that slowdown continues that would be a good thing for rate. And you know, I should talk about that RFK Jr. tweet this week. Speaking of this weekend, there was a tweet from RFK Jr. in which he talked about how mortgage rates were too high. And yeah, real quickly. So he's like, yeah, mortgage rates are too high. People can't afford homes. So he wanted to create like a program that would create a 3% mortgage rate so people could afford homes. Now, of course, everyone pointed out that, sure, Initially, that would be great because people would then be able to, you know, get into a home. Their their borrowing costs would be lower, but the result of that would be home prices would go up. So eventually, things would level out, and we'd be back to where we are now. <laughs> I mean, what we need is supply. That's what we need. We need more supply. But it was really funny. What I thought was kind of funny about it was RFK Junior. is like almost. I think he's almost seventy, pretty close to it. And I thought it was weird that a guy who's 70 years old was concerned about 8% mortgage rates because I looked at the data and from like the mid seventies until now, the average mortgage rate was like seven and three quarters. So it's only like very recently, the last like 10, 15 years that we've got sort of used to this idea of like four, three to 5% rates. I mean, rates have been much higher than that. And so I was like, it's kind of weird that a guy who's seen mortgage rates, you know, 18%, 15% is like freaking out about 8%. And then I realized that we're talking about RFK Jr. And I would bet that he's never had a mortgage before. It, I mean, I mean, that he like did. <laughs> he may have signed the paperwork, but I mean, he's a Kennedy. So his family has a trust and they probably got all kinds of accountants and money guys and 
you know, he's not just like some guy who like in the 70s started a family, bought a house, rates fell in the 80s, he refied, refied again maybe in the 90s, bought a bigger house, uh, his family got bigger, you know, got another mortgage. And so he saw all these different rates, you know, up and down, ebb and flow. He never saw that. I don't think. I mean, if I had to guess, I'd be like, he never saw any of that because that was all happening with his guys. He probably was like, I want to buy that house. And they're like, we're going to handle it, Mr. Kennedy. <laughs> like, I don't think he was going to the bank and being like, can I get a loan? What are the rates? <laughs> so that's what I, I, I kind of realized. I was like, well, it's so weird that he's like upset about an 8% mortgage rate. And I'm like, oh, he's, he doesn't know about mortgage rates. He probably has never been concerned about them. And now all of a sudden he's paying attention and he's like, oh my God, we were at three and now we're at eight. I mean, he has like the economic history of like a 22 year old kid on TikTok who's like, rates are too high (laughs) because just not recently they were three now they're eight. And so I thought that was kind of funny. That was over the weekend, but that was neither, neither here nor there. So um, that was my funny RFK Jr. tweet this weekend. So, okay, uh, Monday, um, we'll be getting some data out of the UK home prices. That's actually probably already out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, 10 a.m., manufacturing data, ISM manufacturing data. A little rise, a little rise. But then Tuesday's where things really kick in. So on Tuesday, we're getting the JOLT report. Looking at job openings expected to rise to 8.83 million in August. So a little bit of an uptick. I think the last three months we've seen that index fall. And so now we might see a little bit of an uptick. If that unexpectedly drops, good news. That would be good news. Uh, And then we're going to be getting the IBD. Yeah, IBD TIPP Economic Optimism Index, which is expected to fall to 41 and then on wednesday we're going to be getting adp so we would have been getting that anyway even if the government shut down because it's private looking at private payrolls they're expected to have risen 160,000 in september that's out um about 8 15 a.m at 7 a.m as always mortgage demand and rates then on thursday jobless claims expected to rise to 210,000 Trade deficit expected to fall to 64.4 billion and then mortgage rates at 12. And then the Mac Daddy, the non-farm payroll out on Friday, which we will be getting because there is no shutdown. And that's expected to show the economy creating 163,000 jobs. So what we would like to see, especially RFK Jr., he wants to see rates fall. (laughs) So if you'd like to see rates fall, what we need to see is job openings actually falling, not increasing. I mean, even a little increase isn't, isn't horrible, but an unexpected fall would be great. And then that non-farm payroll, anything under 163, perfect. That's what we would like to see. What's showing the Fed, Jerome Powell, the labor market continues to soften. That's what we would like to see this week. And we'll be getting the data because the government's not shut down. Now, speaking of data, we did get some data on Friday. Speaking of the Fed, the all-important PCE index, personal consumption, expenditures, price index, that is what the Fed looks at. They do not look at CPI. 
they look at PCE. And the good news is that inflation actually cooled a little bit more than they were expecting. Nothing huge. Year-over-year number fell as expected. It was the monthly number that was cooler than we thought. That we will take. So once again, this data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, the PCE price index increased 0.4% in August. That was more than the 0.2% that we saw in July. And in fact, was the biggest monthly increase since April. Now, that year-over-year number rose to 3.5%. That was up from 3.4% in July and was the highest level since May. So that was a top-line number. Here's where things get good. Core PCE only rose 0.1%. We almost had a a flat month. It would have been a while since we had that. 0.1%, which slowed the year-over-year index to 3.9%. Economists thought we were going to see a 0.2% increase month over month. They did expect the 3.9% year-over-year, but they were expecting a little bit bigger increase month over month. So that's, that's the silver lining. <laughs> it's not, not great. It's not phenomenal. <laughs> I didn't try and oversell it, but it was a silver lining Nonetheless, so we're seeing core inflation cool to under 4%. This, of course, the Fed's preferred gauge for inflation. So that is important to keep an eye on. The top line number rose. Core PCE continued to slow. Uh, And then we got personal income in spending, which both rose by 0.4%. Personal income, like I said, was up 0.4%. This was up from the 0.2% rise that we saw in July and was the biggest increase since March. So good news for income in the month of August. However, personal savings fell to 3.9% of disposable personal income. That is down from 4.1% in July and is the lowest level since December 2022. That's not that surprising. People are really feeling inflation. And so they got to spend that money. So they are not saving as much money as they were. And that is why the savings rate continues to fall, showing that people are using their savings or not putting money in savings because of these higher prices. And as I mentioned, spending was also up 0.4%. Um, that was actually down from the 0.9% increase in July. So less than half spending-wise. So once again, more evidence that consumers are feeling the pinch because of inflation, despite all these economists that are like, no, things are actually great. (laughs) It's like, guys, no, that's not what people are thinking. Uh, Spending on goods jumped 0.6% while spending on services was up 0.4% in August. So like I said, a decent report, a little bit more than expected inflation cooling. That's what we want to see, but nothing that's really going to cause a major decision or pivot or anything from the Federal Reserve. So take from it what you will. Uh, And then speaking of inflation, also on Friday, early in the morning, we got some data from the euro area that inflation, this is slowing 
faster than expected. Kind of a big move here. Uh, consumer prices in the euro area slowed to 4.3% in September. That was down almost a full point. 5.2% is where it was in August, down to 4.3% in September. That is now the lowest level since October 2021. Consumer prices rose 0.3% in September, down from the half a percent increase in August, uh, but slightly higher than June's 0.1% decline. Economists were expecting prices to slow to 4.5%, so a much bigger move on that year-over-year number. And then consumer prices, excluding energy and unprocessed food, a.k.a. core inflation, Slowed to 5.5% in September, down from 6.2% in August, and the lowest level since July 2022. Uh, Energy prices continue to fall in Europe, dropping 4.7% year over year. That's a bigger drop than we saw in August and is the biggest drop that we have seen on record since December 2020. So some good things happening in Europe where inflation has been much stickier than it is here in the U.S. And think about how sticky it is here. It's been that much worse in Europe. And then looking at the European Union, Slovakia is doing the worst. Prices are up 8.9% year over year, while the Netherlands is actually in deflationary territory with prices down 0.3% year over year. So we got some better things happening in Europe, which I guess could trickle down to us here in the United States. Uh, but so at least some good news, at least some good news for us here in the U.S. on that PCE report. But it is jobs week, so I'm looking very forward to Friday with the non-farm payroll, and hopefully we get a week number, which will be good for rates. And rates need that right now. Uh, rates did move up last week. Uh, again, reaching like another, what, 22-year high, something like that. So it would be nice. It would be nice to get a good a good jobs number. And by good, I mean bad, a bad jobs number on Friday. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your Monday. Enjoy your week. We will talk to you. We will. I will be here Wednesday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.